early on, I just was building that network of these are individuals I want to learn from. These are individuals I want to, you know, potentially collaborate with in the future. And these are, you know, individuals that I think ultimately could empower us beyond just capital. Welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm here with David Lopez, who's the co-founder and CEO of Gritly, which is a career placement platform. He's also on the advisory board for Workforce Boulder County. So welcome, David. How are you doing? Hey, Michael. I'm doing well. I really appreciate the opportunity. Excited to uh, dive in a little bit more today. Yeah, we're excited. So tell us more about your company. What do you do? Yeah, so Gritly is a career placement platform, we're really bridging the gap between rural-specific training programs. This can also be referred to as skilled-to-alternative routes. So that's trade schools, vocational training programs, workforce development programs, and then bridging them and connecting them directly to you know really high-growth technology companies so that they can hire their workforce up tomorrow. You know, really, it's, it was super important for us that not only were we bridging this gap, but we're taking an approach of skills-based hiring. And so we're really invested in the future of skills-based hiring. And we think that it all starts here with Gritly. And so, you know, kind of what that looks like is we have this marketplace where we're providing role-specific training programs, not only access to our pool of employers, but we're also providing them with a learning management system that allows them to build their programs and get structured and launch and, and facilitate all programming needs. And on the back end, we're actually doing a ton of data collection all the way from application to outcome and then packaging that up and sharing it with employers. So that way we can de-risk the hiring process and give hiring managers the confidence that the person that they are hiring can actually get the job done versus hackable systems like resumes, references, and, and interviews, which you could be great at all three of those and not know how to do the job and then lead to churn in, in six months. And so for us was, you know, how can we give the people who need a shot a fair shot, but also, you know, leave it up to them and the individual candidate performance to really meet that match for both these grads as well as employers who are excited to hire them. I love this idea because nowadays a college degree, if it's just like a general business degree, pretty much means nothing, I think. And that time would be much better spent, I think, in like a trade school or something where you're actually learning a specific skill. And I know we briefly touched on this in our kind of first chat together. So tell me more about what drove you to start this company, because I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. And real quick, just on that that note of, you know, higher ed not preparing their graduates for the jobs of tomorrow is absolutely true. Employers can no longer count on them for access to the most qualified talent. And then at the same time for, you know, college graduates, vocational training isn't either or, it can be a yes and. And we've actually seen that within our own programming. But to answer your question about, you know, what really is the driving point? What's our why? I myself, I'm a Colorado native. I'm the oldest of my siblings. My mom had me and she was 17 years old. And so she didn't finish high school. And, you know, growing up, I was always watching my mom really make a lot of sacrifices to make sure that my siblings and I never went without government assistance programs. You name them, we were on them. And, you know, ultimately, I always just felt like I needed to contribute. I needed to help some way, somehow. And at that time, you know, I didn't know anybody that went to college. But society was telling me that that was what I needed to do to find economic mobility where I can help my mom move out of the ghetto. And so through that, I was fortunate. I got a full ride scholarship to the University of Colorado Boulder. And when I got there, I quickly realized three things. One, there's not a lot of people that look like me. Two, those that do look like me are oftentimes going into debt to pursue these degrees. And three, 
college isn't for everybody and that's okay. And so I really started to look back at my community and where I came from and understanding I was really like a unicorn to make it out and go to a big four-year school, but also understanding that everyone that I was growing up with, they weren't undeserving of the opportunities. They just didn't have the right circumstances aligned for them to go out and take these next steps, whether that was financially, family responsibilities, you name it, you know, it was often happening. And so for me, and rather than going out and, you know, getting a, some job on Wall Street and making a bunch of money. I actually wanted to turn around and be able to break down the barriers that you know were in front of my community to getting access to really great high-paying jobs, access to benefits for the first time. And it really started with the employers and making sure that, you know, hey, if these people don't have a college degree, what do you absolutely need for them to, to have in order for you to feel comfortable? And so that's really the first iteration of really was a tech sales boot camp where we co-developed our curriculum with the employers. And then from there, had a bunch of candidates go through our program where, you know, they were doubling and tripling their income, getting access to benefits for the first time, getting off of government assistance. It was just really exciting for us to be able to do that. But also we started to think through like, what does this look like at scale? And, you know, what does this look like with a thousand candidates a year when we know that there's probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that can benefit from programs like this. And so that's where we started to build our, our technology in-house to really increase our own capacity on a per candidate basis. And from there, we started to see some success with that. And we actually started to get inbound from other programs who, you know, some might look at as like competition. But for us, you know, we're just very bullish on this space in general. We 100% believe more of these programs need to pop up and need to continue to create value. And so for us was how can we, you know, license our, our platform to all these new programs who are looking to do the same thing that we're doing, but in different fields. And so for us, we were excited to go out and actually commercialize our technology. Our existing customer base was excited that we would actually be increasing the, the amount of opportunities that would be on our platform. You know, we were really great at tech sales and now we get to empower other programs, you know, such as recruiters or Salesforce admins, you know, marketers to all come onto our platform after their role specific training program is completed and get hired by companies who are eager to really believe in the future of skills based hiring. And so that why is really just stems back into increasing economic mobility for communities that need it most. And I'm really grateful that all these different programs are popping up and, you know, able to support these individuals, both, you know, locally, regionally, and across the country, because you can take these programs 100% online. And we're excited to be able to empower the future of this space. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Going back to what you mentioned about college, I think it's so interesting now to see the shift. And I think it will continue to shift unless you are a STEM-based major or, you know, going into law or medicine, you know, all that stuff. I think it doesn't really make all that much sense to go into debt in such a major way when there's so many other ways to figure out what you want to do and, and learn. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, in a couple generations, if it's still the norm for everyone to try to go to college or the not everyone, but the majority of people to try to go to college. I think that money would almost be better spent buying online courses, buying a business, buying land, buying, you know, some sort of asset that will cash flow in the future for you versus like this major that may or may not prepare you for a job that you may or may not even want. 
I absolutely think that, you know, one, I'm, I'm not anti-college. I, I definitely think, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, for STEM or, or, you know, getting into the medical field or, you know, engineering, whatever it may be, there absolutely is still viable use cases for colleges. But, you know, for the over 1 billion people that we need to upskill by 2030, these individuals oftentimes don't have the privilege to just wait around for four years, get this education, and then hope that it's actually relevant for the jobs of what will be around, you know, by the time that they're graduating and getting out of these programs. Versus, you know, you can just go in, you can take a bunch of these programs, online courses, investing in yourself, and then ultimately get into industry first. And then, you know, start to think about what does the future look like? But, you know, oftentimes, yeah, a lot of these people aren't trying to waste. They can't afford to, you know, spend four years of their time going to debt with pretty much a coin toss on whether or not what they did was going to be the right choice. And so we're definitely excited that more of these programs are popping up because it gives more candidates the optionalities of where do you really want to go? Where do you really want to see yourself? And is it about, you know, finding what you're passionate about or is it because you need to put food on the table? Both are viable options around, you know, upskilling and and getting into technology and and really riding this wave of how you remain relevant with your skills and remain employable, you know, over the next 15 years. And we 100% believe that it does come from the vocational training space. There may or may not be an existing stigma around it, similar to trade schools. But over time, I think more than ever, especially with the pandemic, pouring all these, exposing all these holes, you know, through the industry that college is not what we thought it was. The prices keep rising. The quality of the education doesn't often change and actually goes in the opposite direction as employers and their needs are changing and they're not being able to keep up with the times. And so this is, you know, where these programs are able to keep their ears to the employers, making sure that what they're teaching is relevant and that these candidates are job ready by the time they're done with the programs. So what is the path for you in terms of how did you start this business? What did that look like? Yeah, so it actually started my freshman year at CU. It was really just me going out and embodying myself in the entrepreneurial ecosystem that Boulder, you know, really fostered both on campus as well as off campus. And I was meeting a ton of, you know, investors, operators and founders who were really excited and, you know, eager to engage with the university talent. And now at that time, they were just going through a career services shift on campus. And it wasn't really friendly to early stage startups, even though they had some of these amazing opportunities for internships. And then I'm going back to campus and I'm engaging with a lot of my peers who are super excited to, you know, get hired and have internships at these companies, they just don't know how to find them. And so for me, oftentimes, I was being that kind of middleman connector between my peers, and this book of business that I've developed, and, you know, really just making and setting up internships for these individuals, the startups needed help, the candidates, you know, the students, they needed experience. And so I was excited to do all of that. And I was like, there's a business here, let's look into it. So we spent about 18 months during undergrad trying to really find a business model that could scale. You know, we raised a little bit of money, we had a little bit of revenue, but ultimately decided that, you know, this is not a scalable business. You know, there's not a ton of money in internships as is. And so we kind of sunsetted that idea and product and, you know, ultimately started looking at the larger market. And then at the same time, I was helping university students. I wanted to peel it one layer back and help my community and ultimately, you know, help those that needed the most help and guidance and support. And I think it goes into that same field as everyone talks about access. You know, we need to increase access to these industries for, you know, lower income communities. And being that I came from that, I really think it starts with exposure. 
And so starting with the exposure, exposing these individuals to the kinds of opportunities that do exist out there, and then bringing in, you know, wraparound services for both training and placement was, you know, what got us started with Gritly. And then ever since then, we've just been listening to our, our stakeholders and ensuring that what we're building is for them. And that's how we've come into this new pivot where we are that career placement platform connecting vocational training graduates with, you know, employers who are eager to hire them. So after you pivoted from internships into full-time positions, focusing on that, I'm assuming you charge the business a fee for your service and not the person looking for a placement? Yeah, well, so actually we charged both sides of the market, but we had a very equitable pricing system in that, yes, we we charged companies to engage with our candidates and then they were paying us as they were hiring each successful placement. But then on for the candidates, we had a model called deferred tuition agreements where they didn't pay anything up front, they didn't pay anything throughout the program, and they actually only began paying us once they got a job making over $40,000 a year. Oh, that's cool. It was really important and actually it was critical that we had this, you know, very open and transparent pricing system where, you know, if they weren't successful, we weren't making money. And our success was literally tied to their financial outcomes. And, you know, oftentimes we're seeing our candidates getting jobs much higher than 40K, but that was just the baseline for us that we wanted to set saying, you know, this is the minimum in which you do qualify for after our training. And so then, you know, we capped that at $5,000, which is still very cheap for being able to double, triple your income over the course of three months. And do they pay that all at once? No, it, it's spread out over 18 months. Okay, nice. And then how, what do you charge the businesses? So on, on that side, it, it was very similar to like just like a recruiting model, uh, you know, percentage of the first year base salary, nothing too innovative there. And, you know, actually we, we have moved away from that and now are just more so on, you know, have a subscription for both the companies that are, you know, in our system, as well as, you know, subscriptions for the boot camps that we're empowering with our learning management system. Yeah, that's cool. Who are some of like the competitors out there in the space? So when it comes to the competitors in this space, it's actually pretty interesting because, you know, oftentimes these existing programs have done something similar to us where they are building their own learning management system in-house in which, you know, we'll be able to connect via API and help bring their candidates into our pool. But for everyone else, it's actually super interesting because they're either utilizing a bundle of low-code and no-code tools like Notion and Airtable or are just using like Google Sites or Google Classroom. And so, you know, while they do get the job done, it's not ideal for a lot of the the new programs that we're speaking with. And so for us is not only are we offering the learning management system, but there's an employer side to that too. And I think maybe the easiest way to understand that is looking at higher education. There's often, you know, companies like Canvas or Blackboard that university students are utilizing during their college experience. And then there's, you know, career services platforms like Handshake or Purple Briefcase, but the two don't talk. They don't exchange, you know, any information. It's just kind of, you know, when you're on Handshake, you have that piece of paper, which is a degree. And, you know, it's up to employers to trust that. Versus on our platform, we have the two integrated very closely and they are communicating and we're actually pulling all of our data and showcasing that it's not about where this candidate went to school or didn't go to school. It's really about the work that they completed over the course of the last, you know, three to six months in their respective programs where they are doing the job before they get the job. And so, you know, it's really about increasing that confidence, but it's that blend that we really don't see anywhere else in the market as of today. And that's why we're excited to, you know, really utilize a first mover advantage and really provide the infrastructure for the future of this industry. Cool. So I want to shift gears a little. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs in training or haven't quite yet launched a business 
and are thinking about ideas. So tell us, what are some of the main things that you've learned as an entrepreneur that you would tell anyone considering becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's the most fun I've ever had in my entire life, but it's also the most stressful thing I've I've ever engaged in. And I say that in the sense that I'm having the time of my life being able to, you know, work on this, build our team, support our stakeholders, see, you know, the positive impact that we're having. But the other piece to this is, you know, when we're running a business, you have to run the whole business. It's not always the fun stuff of talking to your customers, you know, gaining feedback, those kinds of things. You also have to do everything else like taxes and accounting, onboarding, making sure you have all your documentation in place, your operations, your payroll, all of that stuff. I learned a lot of it just on my own the hard way. And, you know, thankfully we have everything buttoned down now. But those are things that, you know, you don't really anticipate while you're just trying to get something to market. And then someone says they'll pay you and then you don't have any way of receiving funding. You know, so it's like those were things early on that I was like, okay, we need to invest in and and make sure that we do have, you know, our our house in order pretty much. And then outside of that, I would say that the key is really a strong support system, whether that's your your fellow colleagues that are building this with you, investors or advisors that you, uh, you surround yourself with. The feedback that they are able to offer you is is really valuable because sometimes as a founder you can be you know so caught up on what you think is right or you know what hypotheses you have when in all reality you know these external voices can actually be some guiding light for you not to you know say that that's how you have to run your company but you know being open to that feedback is is super critical and you know just kind of the last thing I'll say is the most important piece to a business is launching and getting it in front of your users. So, you know, I'm not saying you can only launch one time and it has to be absolutely perfect. You can launch 10 times. You know, we've probably launched four to five times in the last 12 months, but it's all just about, you know, getting the product, the experience in front of your actual users and let them guide and tell you what's going to work and what's not. You know, obviously it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to look the best, but as long as you can get that minimal viable product in the hands, they're going to give you your best feedback. And sometimes you're going to be proven right and other times you're going to be proven wrong. But as long as you keep your ear to your customers and let them tell you what to build, I think you're going to be, you know, in a really good position early on and, you know, make sure you never lose touch with those end users because, you know, here we are gritly, you know, 18 months later and, you know, we've now pivoted where we've commercializing our software going from services based to SaaS, a move I never thought we'd make, but it's not about what I thought. It was about what our customers wanted and needed and what the market, you know, was presenting us with. And so that launching is, is something that absolutely, you know, changed the trajectory because I thought at first we needed something perfect and actually we just needed something to work just a little bit. And our users have been, you know, guiding us ever since. Yeah, I think that's really, really great advice. So many times people think, well, what am I passionate about? What what I want to do? And sometimes it's better to do the opposite and be like, what are people looking for? What are people needing? So I think that's really smart advice. How about for fundraising? You mentioned you fundraised. Do you have any tips for people who are in that process themselves? Yeah, definitely build relationships early and often. I've never had a successful outcome where the first time I was meeting someone and, you know, asking them for money, did I actually get money? It's only, you know, after, you know, a few times of being able to meet them, connect them and, and really show what I'm about and show that we can launch, we can get to market, you know, we can test, we can pivot as needed. But, you know, really, it's the the saying is true, right? Around 
investors don't invest in dots, they invest in lines. And so giving yourself a track record with, you know, individuals who are, you know, influential and or, you know, really understand your space is actually a huge value add because early on, you're not looking for money, you're just are looking for advice, where, you know, hey, I'm thinking about this new business model, or this, you know, our go to market strategy is changing. Can I just get your feedback, you know, based on your experience with X, Y, or Z portfolio company, I think that, you know, we could, find some of this useful. You know, investors love to to help. You know, that's why they primarily are investors is to support entrepreneurs with both capital and, you know, access to employees and, you know, other partnership opportunities, but also just to help you as a founder think through each new challenge. And so it's okay to ask for help. And, you know, I would even advise that you are building those relationships with investors to start with help, show them that you can take their advice, you can make the best decision for your company. And over time, you know, you can launch and you can gain traction. And that's only going to instill their confidence in you over time that, you know, you are ready for investment and they do want to put those dollars behind you to help you, you know, achieve your next milestone before ultimately raising again. So it's all relationships in. And then the one other piece is, you know, treat it like you do sales with your company. You know, it's a very structured process. You want to set yourself up for success. It's not a something that you can kind of just wing it. You definitely, you know, you want to have a structure. You want to know who you're talking to, why you're talking to them. How can you best get introduced to them via warm introductions? How'd you go about finding your investors? Really just being involved in the community and understanding, you know, who understands my space, who is aligned with our mission, you know, whether that's being social, you know, social impact driven or, you know, you care about the future of work or workforce development, you know, for our space specifically was super important. And so early on, I just was building that network of these are individuals I want to learn from. These are individuals I want to, you know, potentially collaborate with in the future. And these are, you know, individuals that I think ultimately could empower us beyond just capital. And so it was a ton of time. And, you know, actually our first angel, it probably took about six months from, you know, first meeting him to meeting weekly for him to actually cut that check. And so we earned it. We felt good to earn it. And that kind of happened simultaneously over the course of, you know, even up to, to now we're, you know, we're still kind of bringing in some, you know, strategic angels, but it's just about building those relationships. And, you know, over time, I'm actually testing them as well. You know, are they actually adding value? Are we aligned for the grand vision of this? How do they interact with me and how do they support our team? Because not all money is good money. And, you know, that's something to be very intentional about. But when you do find that value-add investor who is looking to support you beyond advice and guidance and bringing capital, it can be a, you know, really great relationship. But they're very important relationships because, you know, you're going to be tied together for like the next, you know, five to 10 years. And so during that, you want to be very much aligned. And so I, I think just kind of the, the intentionality I used early on with building relationships and being able to show that we can produce is what has allowed us to get to this point today. So how about if you were to start over, you didn't go to college, so maybe you didn't have like a campus entrepreneur group that you could rely on, and you were setting out to start a new company from scratch, where would you go today, and you couldn't use any of your existing relationships, you had to create new ones, where would you go to try to connect with potential investors? Yeah, that's a great question. So the my immediate response is Twitter. I, you know, am am super cognizant about how I utilize my Twitter. You know, I'm I'm not the most popular for like tweeting, you know, all these things. That's not really my background, but who I follow and engage with on that platform is has opened up a ton of doors for me. And so, you know, Twitter has different pockets, but the tech Twitter pocket is somewhere where 
a ton of investors are living. And, you know, early on when I was, you know, on campus and I was meeting all these individuals, oftentimes I was leaving with like one nugget of information. And to me, that 30 minute meeting, buying them a coffee, whatever it was, was worth that one piece of advice. And then I found that I can just go on Twitter. And even if I'm mindlessly scrolling, a lot of these investors are just dropping those individual nuggets almost on a daily basis. And so being able to just, you know, know and be very intentional about the information I'm bringing in, but also knowing that where it's coming from, thankfully, you know, we are able to succeed in a remote world that, you know, you can tap into Silicon Valley, no matter where you're at, you can tap into New York, no matter where you're at. But it's just all about setting that those intentions and understanding that each little nugget can play in not always immediately, but over time, and then being able to engage with those people right on, they might not always respond to your tweet. But when they do, you know, they are human, they're not impossible to reach, you know, you start to boom, build that relationship. And so Twitter is a uh, tech Twitter specifically is a really great space for that, you know, and also just trying to find local communities to go and just engage in person. Now that we can start to do that again, it's definitely a place where you just go and you don't even have to have a business. You don't have to have an idea, but how can you contribute to that community? Is that, you know, being a helping hand or helping with, you know, a couple of uh, like taking an internship or maybe you do have an idea and you just want to get some feedback from real humans and how you're thinking through your business model. Oftentimes people are excited to engage in the startup community. And so if you can do it locally, absolutely. But if maybe you don't have that ecosystem, hop on Twitter and follow the right people. And I think that is a you know, great place, uh, an equitable place for people to really start from scratch. Yeah, a few points I want to touch on on that. I think that's all really good advice. Just out of curiosity, who are some of the thought leaders that you go to on Twitter that you enjoy? Yeah, Jason Calacanis is is definitely one. He is also the the host of, you know, another great podcast, the All In podcast, right? And and there's just a ton of leaders with a ton of different perspectives. You know, and and that's the thing is I don't always agree with everything that they're saying, but at least it's just, you know, I do get to hear that other perspective. Again, I get to make my own decisions based on the data that I have. Eric Bond from Hustle Fund is is also, you know, really great. Elizabeth Yen also from Hustle Fund, you know, they're really just supporting early stage entrepreneurs with the advice that they're putting out. And that's, you know, what you need to look for is, you know, maybe you're not looking and engaging with growth stage investors because they're looking at, you know, investing tens of millions. You might not be there, but who's there early on from, you know, idea stage that says, you know, here's how you can test your idea quickly, or maybe you got a little bit of traction. What do you do with that? All things that, you know, one are answering the questions that you have, or two, are bringing new topics to date that maybe you haven't thought about that maybe you should start thinking about, you know, with where you're at, with your idea or, you know, prototype. But those are just a, a few of, of some of the greats that, you know, I'm just kind of constantly bookmarking their tweets. And, you know, I kind of will spend some time just revisiting and, and trying to engage as you know, much as possible. So how do you balance the information intake with not getting like overload? Because I feel sometimes... I go down those rabbit holes where I'm like obsessing over someone's content, trying to learn it, trying to absorb it, and trying also then to not get lost in other people's ideas and come back and find my own. I feel like that's something I've struggled with where it's like, I don't know, how do you balance being an entrepreneur which requires constant learning with not overloading your your brain, I guess? Yeah, I mean first thought is it's way easier said than done. There's often times where I will reach out to our investors and I'll say, look, this is the challenge that I'm facing. And sometimes they have totally opposite approaches, you know? And so for me, it's, I 
don't want to let anyone down. But also at the end of the day, it's really about the betterment of the company itself. And so, you know, I think as long as you're taking in all of this information and understanding, you know, is this going to move the needle forward for your company and always keeping that top of mind when you're taking in this information. And if not, you know, it's okay. It's okay to have, you know, learnings outside of, you know, your core company, or maybe it's another idea that, you know, you've thought about or a side hustle and that's fine. But always keep kind of keeping that sensor of, is this useful for me right now? And if it's not, okay, be intentional about taking in that information because maybe it is useful later, but just be very intentional, very critical of, you know, that information. And ultimately it, it does oftentimes just kind of come to you being able to stop bringing in that information, just take a second, take a few breaths and, you know, analyze both sides or all three sides or four sides if it's a hot topic of discussion and, you know, really bring up your, your core values and what matters to you and let that guide you, you know, not always are you going to be right with them for the decisions you make, but be confident in those and understand that, you know, information is always going to change. It's always going to be in front of you, but you don't have to do anything with all of it that, that you get all at one time. Awesome. You mentioned your team a few times. I'm curious, how big is your team now? Yeah, so we actually did go through a, a bit of a restructure where as we you know kind of went from focusing on our tech sales bootcamp to now we're really investing into, you know, getting to market with our SaaS platform. We let some people go and so now we're we're a team of three full-time. We have one part-time individual with us and then we also we outsource our engineering. So my co-founder and CTO leads our outsourced engineering team in India. Got it. So is everyone on the team a co-founder? I just have one co-founder. His name is Avi. He's our co-founder CTO. So him and I have been working together for, for well over, you know, two and a half years now, back from, you know, the old iteration to now this one. And yeah, him and I have pretty much been in it from day one. How did you go about hiring and finding the other people on your team? Kind of, you know, two different approaches. One, you know, we knew that we needed to make our first external hire and it needed to be someone who had a lot more skills and fields that, that we lacked. So, you know, we actually just posted a, a link on, on LinkedIn and, you know, we got more than a few applications, probably about 124 hours. And so it was exciting to see that people are, you know, excited to come and work for our company. And so, you know, we kind of went through each resume and understood, you know, b- based on our skills, you know, who would come in and compliment us the most. And that we kind of ranked, found our top 10, brought them in interviews and, you know, excited to say that we were able to, to hire our number one, you know, interested party. And, you know, she's been great and have moved the needles and we've been able to just all collaborate in ways that, you know, I do understand now how important and critical it is, not necessarily about our idea, not necessarily about, you know, who we have around us, but absolutely the team. Any interview tips for entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, I, I think, you know, early on, you have to sell a vision, right? What What is your grand vision for this company? And it's not about, here's our grand vision, we're going to accomplish it tomorrow. But it's, here's our grand vision. Here's where we're starting and here's why. And getting people to get bought in with the mission early on is absolutely critical. You know, your product may change, your approach may change, your customer may change, but that vision, you know, that North Star is more than likely often going to be the only familiarity over the years, right? And so you probably can't compete with, you know, the Facebooks and the Netflix, you know, salaries of the world. And that's okay. But oftentimes people want to work on real problems that, you know, are helping real people. And so if you can offer a 
vision that showcases the actual impact that you'll have. You can offer growth opportunities and showcase that you are going to value these individuals. Oftentimes, people are going to gravitate towards that. And so if you can just be very intentional about you know your values, your mission, your vision, and you can communicate that clearly, I think people are, will gravitate towards that. And that's a, you know an opportunity for you to you know really bring in some rock stars who understand that the work you're doing is bigger than yourselves, which is something we absolutely understand here at Greeley. What's been the most difficult part of this whole process for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's plenty of ups and downs. I think the the most difficult was probably just kind of bringing our, our house in order. And, you know, the operations of running a business were all things that I didn't really anticipate. And, you know, one thing I, I absolutely understand is that, you know, we started this company during undergrad. Our first angel check hit literally the week that I graduated. You know, I've been able to be full time ever since. But what that means is I don't have professional experience working in a large organization. I own that and I, you know, I know that I'm comfortable with it. But with that being said, there is a, an experience component that I do lack. But what I've done, you know, and that was kind of something that was eating me up. I always thought about it. But actually, pretty much since we've been full time, I have surrounded myself with an executive coach. You know, I do have an advisory board and, you know, I I am able to just pick up the phone and call our investors. And so, you know, really, it's critical for me that I'm investing in myself as a leader and as a founder enough to the point where I can grow and be the CEO that a company needs at scale because I do have the vision. I understand that, you know, what we can do when we're right is going to impact the entire world. And I just know that, you know, it, it starts with me and, and really investing in myself and both physically and mentally keeping myself sharp. So that way, you know, we can both grow. And that goes the same for my co-founder, making sure he has, you know, enough technical guidance and support from advisors who are invested in our greater mission. And it's almost like then you're a clean slate where you don't have the experience of working for a company who maybe was doing something in a really inefficient way, but you maybe not having experienced other companies might have thought, oh yeah, this is the way it has to be. I think looking at lack of experience sometimes is lack of being like pre-programmed into thinking a certain way. So it frees you up to create your own path, your own way. So I would say you don't need to worry about lack of working for a big company because that's uh, maybe ultimately maybe Gritly is best as a medium or a small company. You know, not every company needs to become a massive corporate machine. So I will say that is very much our intention with Gritly though. Not because I I want to run a, a five thousand person company, but it's because the impact that we need to have, you know, we're not gonna be able to do it alone. We're very intentional about not only being able to scale Gritly here in the US, but also take what we're doing global and and have a global impact. And so we understand what needs to be done to get to that point. We're you know we're very intentional about building out the infrastructure now to ensure that we can get to that place where we are $500 million in revenue a year and being able to remain lean and mean. Is that what success looks like for you? Uh, 500 million in rev, that the the target? Actually, the kind of where we start to think that we are successful actually comes from net new income generated. So as we're you know having these individuals come onto our platform, they're going through these programs and they're doubling and tripling their income. That's really a, a North Star. We know we're going to generate revenue, but you know, keeping the newfound incomes that we're you know being a catalyst in creating is that metric for us. And so we will start to fill signs of success when we you know are responsible for over five billion dollars in net new income generated for the communities that we're supporting. And how how many users would that roughly translate to? 
I know obviously there's a range of income options, but is there any sort of growth target there? Yeah. So, I mean, once we get into, you know, serving technical programs, which is definitely on our roadmap, you know, incomes can even jump four to five times. And so kind of on average is kind of in that 25,000 to 50,000 range of supportive candidates that, you know, we know we've gotten there. And, you know, these are all loose estimates. These individuals are continuing to make more and more money, which is something that we're excited about. And so, you know, that might, you know, be able to accelerate that rate just a little bit, but it's, so far down, you know, our, our pipeline that, you know, we just know what needs to be done right now. And that, you know, as long as we continue to execute at the level we can, and we are, we will hit that threshold. Nice. What's been your favorite part of this process? Our success stories by far, you know, there's days that, you know, I will second guess myself or, you know, I'm like, is this what I, you know, should be doing? Is this my purpose? There's days where I absolutely, you know, know that. And most of the days are like that. But when I do kind of get in those kind of weird zones, I just go back and I read our testimonies to see people come back and say that, you know, greatly changed their life. And now they, you know, they have enough money. Is is this where they start thinking about purchasing a home or making investments, you know, where it's like, okay, like before that, those weren't necessarily options, but now you have that. Is everything to see that we've positively impacted people, we've changed their trajectory. And, you know, now they get to be leaders, not only of their immediate families, but of their communities to say, if I've done it, you can do it too. And so just that positive impact on people's lives that our team has been able to have and is continuing to have is what makes all of it worth it. And, you know, what is able to just bring me back into my zone and and really just motivate me to go even harder because, we know that so many more people, you know, will be able to benefit from this program, the better off we can execute and the faster we can get to market. Yeah. Any mistakes that you've made along the way that you'd want to share with our audience so that they don't have to make the same mistakes? You know, it took us a lot longer to launch than I'd like to admit. That was part of my, you know, advice was because we, that was something I did to myself. And I'm grateful that, you know, our early investors were telling us, hey, no, just launch. It doesn't have to look pretty because in my head, I was so caught up that, you know, if we're going to launch, we're going to launch the right way and it's going to be the Gritly brand and that's how we're going to build everything out. And so uh, our investors actually convinced us to launch about six months earlier than we planned to because we were just trying to make it look pretty and have all the bells and whistles. We totally overthought it. And, you know, the moment we launched within 60 days, the feedback we had, it, you know, almost changed the product entirely, all for the better. But, you know, we were probably ready to do that probably, you know, two to three months before, you know, we launched at that point. And so that was kind of early on. And then the other piece to that is, yeah, if you can get your house in order with your operations and documentation, operating agreement, all of that early on, when you know that you are actually, you know, going to be able to make some money with this business, whether it's a side hustle or not, get all of those things early on. They're not fun. They're not anything that gets me excited to work on, but they absolutely need to get done. And, you know, you don't want to to be, you know, this year, I was so grateful that, you know, I've kept seeing it all over, but everyone was waiting until the very last day to file their taxes. I was like, Ooh, I can't do that because I don't like that deadline. And so, you know, we were able to, to get them done on time in an appropriate manner. Those are just some of those things that like, I don't get excited to wake up and say, Oh, I'm going to do the taxes today, but it's just about, they need to get done. And so kind of shifting that mindset of, Oh, I have to do this versus like, Oh, I get to do this. And that, you know, it's because you're building a successful company that these other, you know, operate and documentation that you know you need to have that all companies have is exciting because it means you're doing something right no that's great anything else that you would want listeners to know either about you or about gritly you know one thing that's really exciting about the culture that we're building here at gritly is 
you know, it's, we're a team, we're 100% bought into that. We know everything that we have to do in order to be successful. But I think the culture that we're building is almost like a professional sports franchise. And so, you know, what that means is, you know, we, we, when we show up, we're giving 110%, not only to each other, but to, you know, all of our stakeholders, we're making sure that we're providing our best work and, and, you know, putting our best foot forward. What that means though, when you're done is just like a professional athlete, you know, after they show up, after the, you know, the clock hits zero, they're resting, recharging and taking care of themselves and making sure that they are able to deliver the next time that they're called upon. And that's very, you know, important for us here at Gritly too, is when you're off or, you know, when you're on vacation, you're on vacation and you're doing the necessarily resting and the recharging, doing whatever makes you happy. We want to, you know, support you in all of those things, just as much as we empower you to, you know, to do your job. And for us, you know, our, our seasons or our championships, you know, are seeing our, our candidates get the outcomes that they need and making sure that each stakeholder, including our employers and new boot camps, have everything that they need to be successful and win their own individual championships. You know, that's one kind of unique approach about, you know, Gritly versus, you know, everyone saying like, oh, we're a family or we're this or we're that. We're very much a, a team. We trust each other to show up and deliver. And we also trust each other to take care of yourself when, when you're not, you know, on the clock working and, you know, doing what needs to get done. Okay. And how about we always end or bring us towards a close with, if you could describe your entrepreneurial journey in one word, what would that word be? That's a good question. I would probably say either hustle or marathon. And actually, let's go marathon. I'm very, very much inspired by this idea that everything that we're doing is, is a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint, right? So we have to be very intentional about We've been working on this for, you know, going on three years now. It's been a ton of time, a ton of effort, a ton of wins and a ton of losses. But either way, we're not even close to where we want to be yet. And so with that, we need to think about the longevity and understand that, you know, this is a marathon. The marathon will continue. And with that, you know, we just have to be very intentional and, and, you know, cognizant about the impact that we're having, making sure that we can last all the way through, you know, especially when you get to, you know, towards those final miles, it can be probably the easiest to give up or, you know, when times get tough. But, you know, if you can stick it out, the impact and the results on the back end will definitely be worth it. Yeah, we recently interviewed the founder of Shazam. And he said it was six years from when they launched to when Apple Music launched. So I think it was either 16 or 18 years total from start to selling the business. So he talked about that persistence as well. And I think life in general is also a marathon, not a sprint. And it's advantageous to take the long view for things and think about what am I building for this long, hopefully, if we're lucky, long life versus, you know, what can I just do in this moment that feels nice? I mean, that's good too. But I think taking that viewpoint of marathon versus sprint is a good takeaway for sure for entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a journey and a half, but it's it's a ton of fun, uh, roller coaster of emotions. It's not meant for everybody. And that's okay. You know, but if it is, you know, just always, you know, and, and maybe my final kind of parting thought is, you know, always be a resource, right? I've benefited immensely from the mentorship cycle of both, you know, being mentee and also being a mentor has been just a huge component of us being able to get to this place now. And, you know, anytime that, you know, founder reaches out and they want some advice or some help or guidance or intros, I try and be as helpful as possible because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I wasn't able to get the, that same help from other individuals I was reaching out to. And so, you know, be thoughtful. We're all going through this journey together. You know, some journeys are harder than others, but the easiest thing you can do is, you know, 
be uh, you know empathetic to the other founders that are out there and, and build your community. And it's a uh, you know one hell of a journey, and I'm I'm grateful to uh, to be on mine. Yeah, no, it sounds like an awesome story, and seems like you've built a really value add company that's impacting people's lives in a very real way, which is really awesome to see. So I really appreciate your time today. It was awesome getting to hear this story. For anyone who's curious, go check out Gritly. And I guess, how about for the type of candidates? Can anyone apply or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So really our, our core qualifications are that you are excited about getting a job on, you know, the back end of this, this, these programs. So it's not necessarily about just gaining a new skill and being able to incorporate that into your existing work, but more so, you know, you're hitting your ceiling where you're at and you're ready to, to make the move or you're excited about technology and, you know, you want to make your way and, and break into a new industry and you want that job on the back end. Those are the, you know, individuals who get us excited to be able to empower and support our programs. And, you know, no longer is it just tech sales that you can get at Britly, but we can point you in the right direction and find that program that is right for you. And then making sure that we are assisting you getting hired on the back end. So come check us out if you're thinking about that switch or, you know, you're tired of hitting your ceiling. We're excited to be able to empower and support you there. Is there like a cap? So or is it primarily focused for those with lower income or can anyone interested in breaking into tech check it out? Yeah, anyone is welcome to uh, to come in. You know, it's the main thing we look for is is hustle. Are you willing to put in the work and are you excited and energized? If that's you, we want to talk to you. Awesome. Yeah, no, I love it. I encourage people who are interested in a career switch or trying to gain some skills and get into the tech industry to check it out. It seems like a great resource and a great product that you've built. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. I definitely appreciate the time. It was really great to, to come in. And you know, for anyone that's thinking about getting their Twitter started, uh, you can follow me at David Has Grit. Awesome. Yeah, please. I'll check that out as well. David Has Grit. Cool. Well, it was great talking to you, David, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Sliced Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, we would love for you to share this little slice of insight with your friends. See you next week.